Welcome to Southside Presbyterian Church. The following sermon was taken from our Sunday gathering. If you'd like to find out more, or if we can help you on your journey in faith, head to our website, www.southsidepc.org, or visit us any Sunday morning at 9am. Our Bible reading today is from Felicity and Lily, and you guys are going to read from, do you want to share where it's from? Matthew chapter 7, verses 24 to 29. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and put them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against the house. Yet it did not fall, because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears the words of mine and does not put them into practice is like the foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain came down and the streams rose, the wind blew great against the house and fell with a great crash. When Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowd were, the crowds were amazed at his teachings because he taught as one who has authority and not as their teachers of the law thanks guys that's awesome you can go and sit down now unless you want to join me up here i need help you might have guessed this we're up to the end of the sermon on the mount and this sort of passage is pulling a whole lot of things together so i'm going to pray now that god will help us just to understand What's going on when he talk, tells his story? Uh, so please just pray with me. Dear Father God, we thank you that when we draw near to you, that you do speak to us. And Lord, we pray that this morning be one of those moments where we understand your word. We understand more about you and, and your values and the things that you love and what you're passionate about. And that we might value and be passionate about and love the same things. So Lord, speak to us this morning, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Sometimes you've got to wonder what makes people do what they do. And a great example of this is what we're seeing going on in England at the moment with Queen Elizabeth uh, lying in state. So her coffin is put out. Oh, sorry. I haven't got the screen on the back. So what happens, we've got an opportunity, or those in England, an opportunity come to see the Queen, or at least the coffin that's hidden under a uh, flag, under coverings, and therefore guarded by several guards, that people can do that. Now, would you do it? If you were in England at the moment, would you join the queue? Would you line up for that opportunity to, in a sense, say farewell, or at least uh, be in that moment where people are saying their goodbyes? Would you do it? Does that reflect your values? Now, if it was easy, maybe you might do it. But what happens when they first say, look, you could have to wait four to six hours in the queue, and then within a day, it's blown out to 12 hours at the moment. Now it's 24 hours. The queue is 10 kilometres long that you're going to have to wait, possibly 24 hours. They're actually talking about stopping the queue, stopping people from joining, because it's too dangerous, not good for people to stay out overnight, and what do they do, how do they look after them, to stop the queue. And now the British people are saying, well, how do I join the queue to get in the queue? It's like people really want to do this. What makes them do what they do? Would you do that? Queue up for 24 hours like these guys. 
great um, English weather, <laughs> bring your own seat, because you're going to be standing for a long time in the queue. Why do they do what they do? One person was asked, there's a whole lot of media around, trying to work out, uh, it's a long time to draw out media attention on, on this one event, isn't it? So they're asking people, why are you doing it? One person that I read about replied, well, it's who we are. It's for the Queen. We queue orderly, we wear a wristband, we don't push in. It's very British, they said. <laughs> and when you look at it, you go, yeah, it's very British to be doing it. It's a part of who they are, that they would do it. Now, what, is that something that you would do? To queue up all that time to, for that one moment. See, how does the way you spend your time or your interests or your money reflect the things that you love? How does your values shape what you do? When somebody looks at your life, what can they see that you're passionate about or that what you love? I'm a member of a few different Facebook groups, and one of them uh, talks about doing a lap of Australia. So all these people that are travelling around Australia uh, put up their stories and teach other people who want to do it. And, you know, it's a bucket list thing for me. So, but you can see stories where people sell everything they own, their house, their every, all their possessions at home, buy an expensive four-wheel drive, buy, buy a fantastic caravan, and just go, we're just going to travel. We're just going to be constantly on the road from now on. Now, it's easy to see what they value. It's easy to see what they, they love doing, and they love doing it. I'm also involved in a, a Facebook group that um, restores old cars. And you get people that buy old Tiranas. You go, old Tiranas, sort of brings back old memories. They'll spend 80 grand on an old Tirana and then restore it. That's not restored. It's, it's going to be worth 200 grand. So not only put their money there, their weekends, their time, the, the project, they just love restoring this old car of theirs. You can easily see what's their priority, what's their love. But when people see you... What can people tell about you? What are your loves? What are your values? What do you put your time and money and energy into? See, when Jesus is uh, around 2,000 years ago, he's preaching this sermon, commonly known as a Sermon on the Mount, because he's got a group of followers and that he's teaching to them. It's quite a long, it's three chapters of the book of Matthew. So it's quite a long teaching, quite a long sermon. This, you'd imagine it would take most of the day. But he's big thing is about living in God's kingdom. Not only how to get into the kingdom, but how to live in the kingdom once you're there. So as a child of God, a believer in Jesus, God welcomes you into his family. Now, how do you take on the family values? How do you take on what the family loves? Because you're a part of the family now. How do you take these things on? So Jesus spends a lot of time talking about the decisions you make. It's actually what you do is shaped by your values and your loves. And when you come to God the Father, are you going to take on his values and what he loves? And Jesus spells it out. And he spells it out in a way that he says, you know, there's, there's really two ways you can live, two ways you can go, bringing it down. And this is where we picked up the story, when he talks about two men with two houses. 
We had read for us, but just to refresh us. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine, so this is the end of his, this is the conclusion. He's pulling all his thoughts together. We're just jumping on the tail. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who builds his house on the rock. The rain come down and the streams rose and the winds blew, beat against the house, yet it did not fail because it had its foundation on the rock. That's one way to live. But then there's another way to live, those who hear, but don't do what Jesus says. But everyone who hears these words of mine does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain come down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against the house, and it fell with a great crash. He says there's two ways two ways to respond he's talking to everybody everybody's hearing this teaching of jesus they've sat through the day they've lapped it up oh this is awesome you know tell us more he says at the end that people could see jesus was teaching with authority which indicates they they actually listened and took on they could hear and respect what he was saying but he's saying what are you going to do when you get home are you going to actually just say that was an awesome day and i don't do anything about it or are you going to be a doer to do something with what Jesus is saying. Now, when we get into, uh, th- this is actually insightful about what Jesus has been saying all along in the Sermon of the Mount, because it's hard for us to jump in and go, well, it, this depends on what Jesus did say earlier on and what he was asking us to do and what were the two scenarios that he was pointing out. So what I want to do this morning is just pick out a couple of passages and they're passages that we'd had a look at in the last month or so to show the difference between the two ways, being listeners, but what are we going to do about it? Uh, so the two things when Jesus talked about treasures in heaven and the other one, was prayer. We'll just work through these quickly, but when we look through this lens, it actually puts a different angle that we heard in the last few weeks. So when he talks about building up treasures in heaven, uh, this is a few verses before what we looked at a few weeks ago, at the start of chapter 6, where he tells the story, be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. So when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets as the hypocrites in the synagogues and on the streets to, to be honoured by others. I tell you, tr- I, truly I tell you, they have received their reward in full. So this is one picture. This is, one, this is the foolish man who built his house on the sand. So when he gives to, to um, anything, he wants everybody to see, everybody to know about it. And it could mean that, you know, I don't know whether you noticed, wherever the Queen's coffin went, they were blowing trumpets to announce the Queen is here, even though it's her, uh, just her body in the coffin. But the trumpets, you couldn't miss where the coffin was because the trumpets were blowing. It's that sort of idea when you give money, trumpets are blowing, look at me, look at what I've done. But it could also mean, because it's a little bit confusing because this was written in the Greek in the first century, that the, um, often when people gave, uh, the giving at the temple and the synagogues were in this bowl, but not like a bowl that you would just put your money in. It was shaped like the horn of a trumpet. You know, the trumpets sort of flare out at the end, uh, or tilted on its side, and that's what you put your money in. You can't do it quietly. You put your money in, it clings and clangs, your gold coin just rattles around. So when you put money in, everybody turns around, they see, oh, 
somebody just put money, gave to the poor, gave to the synagogue or the temple, that they did that. That was called a trumpet as well. But either way, it's the same thing. They throw the coin in noisily so people turn around and say, man, he was here yesterday and he gave as well. Isn't he a generous guy? You know, isn't he awesome that he's helping out and he's generous and he's using his money for those things? I want to be like him. He's a good guy. So his giving is all about him. It's all about benefiting him. Or there's this other guy, we pick it up, but when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving may be in secret. Then your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Now, it's not literally don't let your hand know what you're doing, but there's a lesson behind it. It's, like, it's not about letting other people know. It's not about uh, building up you and your reputation and your honour, but it's about just being generous. That's what it's about. So there's, there's this thing with, with motivations and attitudes. They're two different ones. Well, what's the difference? See, he goes on to say the first one will have no reward from his Father in heaven because it's all about him. So his reward, uh, he says, hey, they've received their reward in full when other people go, oh, yeah, pat him on the back and go, aren't you awesome? Where the, where the second one, giving in secret, he says, it's not you won't get any reward. Your father who sees what, you, what is done in secret will reward you. You see the difference. One is saying, hey, I want to do it for me, for my kingdom. I want to benefit out of this. Somebody will get some funding, but it's really me. I'm doing it for me. But the other one's taking no credit at all because it's done in secret, but they know the Father God's doing it. That's their motivation. Father God knows my heart. Father God sees my actions. The Father God will reward me in those moments. They're two different kings, uh, kingdoms that they're striving for. The kingdom of me and the kingdom of God. See, as he talks about this, uh, this helps explain what he goes on to. And this is a passage we saw a few weeks ago. When he talks about storing up treasures in heaven. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where, wrath, uh, where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal. So notice he's talking about the kingdom language, the kingdom here versus the kingdom in heaven. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where, mo where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. See what he's saying? The first guy, he gives wants everybody to know about it, but it's building my kingdom for me and my interests. The second guy is doing it quietly for God the Father to see, for God the Father to reward, and that's the treasures in heaven. It's not for the here and now benefit, but for the eternal benefit, for the glory of the kingdom that their giving goes towards. Jesus is saying there's two ways to give. They're both giving, but there's two different heart attitudes. There's two different responses. Now, which one is building on the rock and which one is building on the sand? It might be obvious. But when you say, well, what is the, the outcome? How does this work out when the storms come? So the guy who gives uh, in the, where everybody can see, it's noisy and everybody's patting on the back, he's a guy who's building his house on the sand. And when the storms come, 
And I think we all know what this means to some extent when we think of the financial side of life or the economic side of life, that you know, interest rates are going up, if you've got mortgages, uh, bills are going up, wages are staying still. Yeah, there's a financial pinch when you lose your income. When, when that financial pinch comes, that storm blows in, is it going to last? Now for that guy, He's going to be, uh, his foundations are going to be washed away and his house will collapse. Why? Because his money is his security. His money is his foundations. His money is his security. Look at what I give. Look at what I've got. My treasures are all around me. But if he loses that, he's lost his identity. He's lost everything. In fact, if that guy claims to be a Christian, which is giving at the synagogue and temple, so you kind of think he's in the Christian world, he's probably going to get angry at God. God, why have you done this to me? Why have you taken my stuff away? And the foundations that should be in Jesus, but it's in the sand, it's shallow, gets washed away. And he'll be angry at God, frustrated at God, and his faith will be just washed away. He'll give up. God's not answering me. God's not giving me stuff. I've lost my identity. I'll go on to something else. But the guy who's giving towards treasures in heaven... He has finances come because we know that financial pressures come on all of us, whether Christians or not Christians. Financial pressures come in, the storm blows in. But his identity is the same. His identity is found in Jesus. His identity is anchored in the rock. His faith is in the rock. No matter what happens to the here and now, it's not about my kingdom here and now. It's about the eternal kingdom, God the Father's kingdom. So I could be a pauper. I could lose everything but I've still got my identity. I've still got my salvation. My faith is solid in Jesus Christ. See the difference. If you think, if you put your heart on the money, your treasure's in the money, when the pressures comes, it gets washed away and there's a chance your faith will be washed away with it. But if you're anchored in Jesus and, and you use your money to glorify him, your identity's still in Jesus. It doesn't change. It's the difference. So we've got to ask ourselves a question then. How are we going to handle the latest financial situation when there's pressures on our money? Will it rock our faith if things get tough, if things get hard, if we lose our identity, we can't have the stuff we used to have or live the lifestyles we used to have? How can we use this season of, you know, assuming that interest rates are going up, assuming it's going to get a bit tougher. How are we going to use this season? Rather than let it question your faith or erode your faith, how can we let it build up our faith so that we're constantly putting our, our foundations into Jesus, not into the shallow sand? It is an opportunity, even in hard times, and this is more important than good times, really, even in hard times, it's an opportunity to show that I trust Jesus more than I trust my money. I'm still going to be generous. I'm still going to uh, set my money and, and my treasures on eternal things, not on the things here and now. And I'm not going to be rocked by this. I'm going to trust Jesus for it. I've stored up treasures in heaven. And it's interesting that um, God uses this. The Father God will reward you. It's not about your kingdom here and now, but eternity. He will reward you. So let's continue to be generous people. Let's continue to live for eternity. Live for God's kingdom, even with our money. That's having your foundations in Jesus. This is uh, 
That was to do about some very practical stuff about money. What about some very practical stuff about prayer? Because Jesus goes on to say a very similar thing about prayer. There's two ways to pray. It's not just don't pray or pray. It's actually the ways we pray. So he goes on, still in chapter 6. And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. That's the first guy. Second guy. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. So back in the day, it was people thought highly of you if you were more religious. And if you went to the synagogue or temple, it was very um, admired if you prayed out loud on the street corners to show everybody, aren't I a good prayer? Aren't I close to God? And people used to admire you for that. Today, I think it's the other way around. People think you're crazy if you did that sort of stuff. Um, but for then, it was a real temptation. Look at me. And this is what this guy is doing. It's about my kingdom in the here and now. I want everybody to think so highly of me. Not just that I'm a good prayer, but I'm, I'm very religious. I'm very close to God that I can do these sort of things. But Jesus says, I they've received their reward. The pat on the back or the admiration they get from those hearing them, that's all the reward they're going to get. Because this guy is only interested in what other people think of him. It's the here and now kingdom. It's the me and my kingdom. He's not interested in, in what God values, but just, I'm building up my kingdom. But the second guy, who's got his um, foundations anchored in Jesus, he prays not in front of everybody. Now this doesn't literally mean just shut the door and that's the only time you can pray is when you shut the door in your bedroom and locks it and nobody else can hear it. But Jesus is making the point it's not to just put yourself on show. Otherwise, we wouldn't be doing prayers in, in, as a church family. And as rights, we're told elsewhere in the New Testament that we should be praying as a church family altogether. So we do do prayers out loud. In fact, for us, praying out loud in front of people is one of the scariest things we can ever do. So I think most of us are pretty comfortable praying quiet. But what he's saying is do it in quiet because your father knows you're serious. It's not about you building your kingdom, but it's you trying to draw near your father God. They're the prayers that he listens to. They're the prayers he's going to answer. They're the ones that are going to get the reward from the father God in heaven. Now, when you get this idea, there's two kingdoms going on. There's me and my prayer life building my kingdom, or this other guy saying, I want to do my prayer life that builds God's kingdom, that it's bigger than him. This makes adds to what we saw last week when we looked at the Lord's Prayer. So the Lord's Prayer is a prayer that Jesus taught people how to pray. A lot of people know this prayer. A lot of people have memorised this prayer. A lot of churches pray it regularly. So, but it is talking about two kingdoms and the collision of worlds. So when you look at this prayer, you go, well, would the guy who prays aloud on the street corner, would he pray this prayer? Or is this prayer only for the guy who's locked himself in his bedroom and prays quietly to God? Which one's this prayer for? Actually, both could pray it. But you can see how both could pray it with different meanings. 
the guy in the street corner, he's memorised it. How impressive that. You can memorise the Lord's Prayer. How impressive is it that you can speak it out loud and in front of everybody and everybody go, wow, aren't you religious? Haven't you got a good memory? Aren't you really good at praying? You're the prayer. But it's all about him. It's just words, making him look good. But the guy in his room is praying the prayer and he, he sees the difference in the kingdom. This is how you should pray. It's not about your kingdom, it's about God's kingdom, life in the new kingdom. So when we say, our Father in heaven, hallowed or holy is your name, we're actually saying, you're the king, you're holy. I'm not, I'm not worthy because he's so big. But we're allowed to call him Father God that he invites us in. But it's about his greatness and my smallness. When we say your kingdom come, what is that? It's not about my kingdom anymore. It's your kingdom. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. It's all about if I'm going to pray for God's kingdom, I've actually got to let go of my kingdom. My kingdom is not what it's about. I let go of that if I'm praying. It's about the words. Give us today, your, give us today our daily bread. It's like if I'm the king of my kingdom, everything depends on me. My greatness... Uh, my authority, my stability, my security is all found in me. I provide for me. I look after me. But the guy that's praying for God's kingdom with a big God is saying, no, no, I'm asking you. Give me my day. I'm looking to you to supply what I need. It's not about me. It's about God's greatness. And forgive us our debt. So it's very relational. In this kingdom, we take on God's values. God values knowing you relationally. God values that, that connectedness. And for that connectedness to be genuine, a close relationship needs a clean slate. It needs forgiveness. It means not holding grudges. So when we go to God, forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven others' debts, and lead us not to temptation to, to stray from God, but deliver us from the evil one. It's going, God, you are the most important one to me. Forgive me because I want you and your kingdom. I don't want to be straying. I don't want to be dragged away. That's what it's taking on God's values are all about. We're going to forgive others as he's forgiven us as well. You see, it's about God's kingdom. It's got lots of meaning. So the guy who prays it with meaning, prays about the words, gets this is how you should pray. But the guy says, no, it's all about me and how religious I am and how impressive I am. That's not what it's about. It's praying for your own stuff. It's praying for your own stuff. See, one says it out loud to impress, uh, thinks he's impressing God, but impressing others. And the other one thinks about the words, the meanings, it's how to pray. Now, when the storms come on those guys, how do you think they're going to hold up? When things don't go right, when life gets tough, health issues, stress issues, anxiety issues, the world's just bearing down like a heavy load on him. I'll, I'll go out and I'll pray more on the street so people pat me on the back more. Doesn't cut it anymore. So he thinks it's all about him, but his prayers aren't working anymore. Again, he's going to get angry at God for letting him down, angry at God for abandoning him, angry at God because his kingdom's not holding together or staying together, and his faith will be weak. It'll be washed away with the flood. But when the guy who prays the words and says, it's not about my kingdom, it's about your kingdom, God, when things go wrong, 
anxiety issues, the weight of the world comes on. It's not about my kingdom. It's about God's kingdom now. And if God's greater than me, if God's a better king than me, he knows how to answer my prayers. Whether it's yes, let it happen. No, it's not going to happen. Or wait, it's not yet. It's going to happen. God will answer the prayers, but he'll do it according to what's good for his kingdom. And he's uh, going to include me in that. And when I'm not carrying that load, I know God the Father's carrying that load, I can stand. I've done my best. I've committed it to God. It's not defining my identity because God's in control. It's about God's kingdom. It's not me. So when the rains do come, when the pressures do come, it's not about me getting my prayers answered because I know he's still in control and he's doing what is right and good for me. That's the difference. Praying, praying, building your own kingdom or praying, building uh, God's kingdom. That our foundations are deep, trusting in Jesus. So when our challenges come, we know God is still in control. See, there's two ways uh, to, for our treasures. There's two ways that we can be praying. So this is when Jesus pulls it together. This is when he asks the questions. Because he asks, what are your attitudes and values for living the Christian life? How are they dictating what you do? It's one thing to believe. It's one thing to be a Christian. Lots of people will say they're Christians. But how does those values or God's values really change what they do? How do they live out? It's a big challenge. Sometimes we want to do it because we think it's good for me. It's building my king. I'll say I'm a Christian, I follow this God because it's good for me. It makes my life easier that God's some kind of genie that's going to answer my prayers and give me my stuff. That faith won't endure the storms, Jesus said. Is it because I do these things because that's what Jesus wants me to and if I do these things, it'll get me into his kingdom? You know, if I do these things, that is my reward to get into heaven. That my, my good will outweigh my bad, that I deserve it. That's still building your own kingdom and that will also be washed away when the storms come. Jesus says God's kingdom is bigger than our kingdom. It's bigger than you. Our best efforts will always fail. And trusting him as our rock, when we set our foundations on him, our identity on him, our faith is, you might say, our, our ticket into the kingdom. Our faith in Jesus, because of Jesus, it gives us certainty of the kingdom. And trusting Jesus makes you who you are. Who you are is a citizen of heaven when you trust in Jesus. You're part of the family. And to be a citizen of the heaven is to have the attitudes and values of our heavenly father. That changes what we do. So there's, going back to our opening verse, therefore everyone who hears these words of mine puts them into practice. It's like a wise man who builds his house on the rock. Don't be just hearers, but be doers. Now this, this has, it's a great message for all of us and all of us that we need to hear. So I've sort of broken it up a little bit. So I'm glad we're here today as a church family, young and old. But you, you kids who are in church, uh, kids' churches on a break, I just want to remind you that kids' church is not about, oh, great, I get to miss out on sitting through a long, boring sermon. I get looked after by uh, some great kids' church teachers. It's much, I was going to say it's much more than that, but hopefully it's not long and boring. And I get it. The... Um, 
But I want you to know, Kids Church is about how to build your foundation in Jesus. We have amazing Kids Church teachers who want you to know Jesus because not only important to them, but it's important to see you as a part of the kingdom. You're citizens of heaven as well. You are one of Jesus' disciples as well. You are precious to us, but precious to God even more. So using that time to learn about Jesus, putting your faith in Jesus, means you will weather the storms. For our teens and young adults, now I've got to confess, the challenges that you guys go through in life now is something that it, the world's a very different place to the world I went through. It's very different, very different challenges. But one thing is still the same. Every generation, or every generation that I know of, has always come up with the attitude, we don't need God anymore. We've grown out of God. He's outdated. He's old. We don't need him anymore. And we come up with our, our new passions, our new desires, our new values. Every generation has done that. It's not a new thing. But you see, Jesus' teachings have been around for 2,000 years and that's been built on the teachings from creation. And they're not going away. Why is that? Maybe because it is true. It is real. It is something you can trust. It is something you can put your faith in and have solid foundations. Don't get carried with the tide. Don't get carried away taking on other values because it seems out of trend or out of fashion to cling to Jesus. But for us adults, we've got to be careful on what we spend our time doing, what we prioritise, because we're all doing something. We're all working towards something. But are we working on things that matter? Are we working on eternal things? And see, sometimes our problem is not what Jesus said here, going out in the public with our giving or going out in the public with our praying. But maybe our problem is, oh no, we're happy to do in secret so much so we don't do anything at all. Sometimes it's easier not to do. We just go with the flow as well. But Jesus said, no, no, actually do. Do the things that I've been saying. Do the things that I'm uh, teaching you. Build your foundations in him. Doesn't mean doing nothing. It means build your house. We're all to build our house, but on Jesus. Let's be the generation that we are the ones known for our praying. Let's be the generation that's known for our giving and our generosity. Let's be the one that leads the way into the kingdom where other generations will follow. That's the call for us. Two ways to live. Are we going to lead the way in trusting Jesus and what it looks like? That's what Jesus is calling us to. And I think that's a great challenge for us as a church family. Let me pray because there's something there for all of us and I think whatever's going on in our life, which will be different things, there's all challenges for us. Let me pray. Dear Father God, we just thank you for keeping your arms open to us, for welcoming us home. Lord, we know we don't do these things. Lord, you know when we talk about prayer, it's easy to feel guilty for all of us. None of us pray enough. Lord, help us to be better prayers. Help us to come to you, talk to you, our loving Father God. Lord, you know when it comes to money, it's very, very hard to open our wallets. It's very easy to say the words, but it's very hard for us to part with our money and our kingdom for other people. But Lord, help us to have generous hearts the way you've been generous to us. Lord, help us to live with kingdom values, not the world's values, 
but help us to build our foundations in Jesus that won't be rocked, but we have our identity in you, our citizenships in you, and we long for eternity. We live for eternity. Give us hearts that desire the things you desire. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.